Good morning, everyone. We doing good today? Fantastic. That's what I like to hear. Hey, you may not realize this, but we have a group of uh, folks who are in Guatemala this morning. They are going to be there for the entire week, building a home, just loving on the people there. And um, we want to remind you of that because whenever that comes to your mind this week, uh, just take some time and pray for them. Pray for their safety, pray for favor with the people that they're serving, and pray that lives will be changed and that God will use them. So we want to remind you guys of that this morning. Thank you for keeping that kind of in the back of your head. Today, we are going to be starting a brand new series called One Hit Wonders. And so to start the service today, I need audience participation, okay? I want you guys to interact with me. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to read you some lyrics from a One Hit Wonder. Now, for those of you who are like One Hit Wonder, maybe the phrase is kind of escapes you. This is an artist, this is a band, this is a solo artist who has had one huge song, but really nothing else has come from that afterwards. So go ahead and start thinking now, all right, let's just think what could this be, who could this be? So I'm gonna read the lyrics, I want you guys to give me the name of the song if you know it, and then I want you to give me the name of the artist if you know that, okay? Do we understand? This means yes? This means no? This means what did I get myself into? All right, here we go. First one, sometimes I feel I've got to run away, I've got to get away. Tainted love, yes, absolutely. Who sings Tainted Love? Soft Sale, I heard it. Somebody got it right. Well done. Wait a I was afraid I was going to have to do it in rhythm. I'm, uh, sometimes I feel I've got to run away, right? So I thought that was what was going to have to happen. You guys did really well on that one. Here's your next one. I can't even believe I'm reading this. Here we go. Um, ooh, baby, it's making me crazy. Every time I look around, every time I look around, every time I look around, it's in my face. Wait, somebody said it. I heard it. I thought I heard it anyway. Maybe not. Okay. The name of the song is How Bizarre. Imagine that. Um, it's by a band called OMC. And you wonder why they were a one-hit wonder. <laughs> when in doubt, repeat the same line three times. You know, it is what it is. All right, here we go. I got another one for you. Hip-hop marmalade spick and span. Met you one summer and it all began. You're the best girl that I ever did see. The great Larry Bird, Jersey 33. Summer Yes! <laughs> summer Girls by who? LFO. LFO. That is right. Some of you are sitting there going, what are y'all talking about? The rest of you are going, this is home, and that is what we want to, all right, stop. Collaborate and listen. That's Vanilla Ice, okay? Some of you missed that little one. I threw that one in there for you at the end. No, today, we're not just going to talk about bands. We're going we're to talk about something bigger than that. See, the thing about One Hit Wonders is not so much that they're often remembered for what they did, more than likely they're remembered for what they didn't do. They're remembered that they had one big moment. They had the one big single. They had the one uh, record that made it to the top. That song, Summer Girls, that we were talking about, topped out in 1999 as the number 38 most charted song of the Billboard 100 for the entire year. And you essentially have never heard of those people again. They had that one moment, but they're not remembered for the one song. They remembered that they didn't do anything after that. And I think that for a lot of us, and I put myself in this category, a lot of times we see ourselves as one-hit wonders. 
We see ourselves as people who had the one great time in our lives, the one great thing that happened in our lives, but nothing else has happened since then. And we start to wonder, is there going to be another time where I feel like a success? Is there going to be another time where I feel like I'm worth something? Is there going to be another time where I just don't feel dull and dry? For some of us, there was that time when we had this big thing that happened at work. We received a promotion, we received a raise, we had this big win, a project went really well, but since that time, nothing else has seemed to work right. And we think of ourselves, and at least in that context, as a one-hit wonder. For some of us, it's a relational victory that we had at some point, a relationship that was going so well, and then all of a sudden just seemed to fall off a cliff. And there's been no traction with it after that. And we start to think, was that, was that just a one-hit wonder? What, what does that look like now? For those of us who are in the room who are followers of Jesus Christ today, there are times in our lives that we would call spiritual markers. There are times in our lives where we sit there and say, God showed up and did something in my life at this, at this time. There's no doubt that it happened. But I haven't felt like I've had another one of those since that time. I think if we were all honest with ourselves, we understand what this feels like, and we start to wonder, will we ever have the win again? Will we ever have another victory? Will we ever have another moment where we feel like we're everything that we could be? We don't want to be one-hit wonders. So over the next two weeks, we're going to talk about how to reshape our focus so that the life that we're living in now, the circumstances that we're in now, we can see them in a different manner so that we can be more than a one-hit wonder. Today, we're going to begin in the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel is a, a priest and prophet who was exiled with the nation of Israel to Babylon by Nebuchadnezzar. And it was there that he received the call to be a prophet. And that's just being the mouthpiece or the spokesman of God. And initially, this call that God put on his life required him to relay news of judgment, that Jerusalem was going to fall. But over time, the message that he shared ended up being one of hope and restoration. So what I want to do is talk today in Ezekiel 37. If you have a Bible, you can turn there, Bible app. Uh, if, not, if you don't have any of that and you just want to read along with us on the screens, you can do that. But in Ezekiel 37, there's this great story that I love that is this example that even when we feel like we're one-hit wonders, even when we feel like there's no hope, that there is potential for something more. So in Ezekiel 37, verse 1, it says, The hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out by his Spirit. He sent me down in the middle of the valley, and it was full of bones. He led me all around them, and there were great many of them, and on the surface of the valley, they were all very dry. And then he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I replied, Lord God, only you know. Now, let's be honest. This kind of seems, especially if you've never heard any of this story before, this kind of seems like a really bad scene out of a horror movie. Like this guy, all of a sudden, is in a valley full of bones. He's just in this valley of death. You're waiting for like the Halloween theme music to play in the background or something else with this story that's going on. What's happening here is this is a vision that God has given Ezekiel. When it says that he's been, uh, that the Lord was on me and he brought me out by his spirit, he takes him and he sees in this vision 
this valley that is full of these bones, and it represents the nation of Israel. It represents the fact that they were exiled, that they weren't where they were supposed to be, that all of these things had happened to them, and there was no hope in their lives. If you're trying to picture this scene, for me, I, I love that whenever I read the Bible that I take and kind of put myself in the middle of the story. I put myself in the middle of it. So I try to put myself here where Ezekiel's at. And as I'm trying to picture, I'm looking around and I see nothing but death around me. Not only death, but what I see is hopeless, hopelessness. Because a dry bone is a, dr a bone that has absolutely no life left in it. There is nothing that is in that bone where life exists. Once a bone becomes dry and brittle, it is worthless. It is pointless. It is dried out. Anybody ever felt like that before? Like you've just gotten to the point that there's just no life left in you? That there's something in your life that's making you feel like there's no hope at all? And then God turns to Ezekiel and he asks him a question. Can these bones live? Ezekiel has lived through the horror and the heartbreak of this situation. He is one of the people who has been exiled. He's one of the people who has no hope. He's one of the people who seemingly is going to have nothing good ever happen to him again. And now he's looking at this valley full of lifeless bones, this hopeless situation. And his answer is, Lord God, only you know. Now, in the moment, the first thing that kind of comes to my mind when I hear this, if you've spent any time at all in church, you, or at least here in the South, it gets said a lot. Um, has anybody ever heard of something called a Sunday school answer? It's kind of this thing like when in doubt, the answer is Jesus, all right? Like when in doubt, the answer is God. You sit there and go, like if there's a question that's asked in church, it could be anything. What color is the carpet? Jesus. I don't know. Like that's just the response. It's always the go-to, that's okay. When I first read this, this is what went through my mind is that there's this time where Ezekiel's looking around and he's going, I don't really know what to say. I just see this horrible situation. And so I just say, Lord God, only you know. And I think the reason I relate and think of it in that manner is because there have been some times where I've looked at the situation that I'm in in my life and I've sat there and gone, there's no way that I can live through this. There's no way I can get through this dry season in my life. And God says, can the bones live? And I'm like, God, only you know. But here's the unique thing about this. Ezekiel couldn't see it. And the reason he couldn't see it is because his problem was obscuring the potential. Our problems obscure the potential. The problem of being in captivity, the problem of having dry, brittle bones that have no life in them is that you can't see anything that can happen. You may be in here today as a parent and you have a child that you are doing everything in your power that you can think of to try to help them work through a situation, to try to get through a behavioral situation, whatever it may be, and you're sitting there going, this just seems like a dry, hopeless, lifeless situation. The problem is keeping you from seeing the potential. There's some kind of relational stress maybe that's going on in your life with you and a spouse or a loved one, a family member, a coworker. It could be any of these things. And you sit there and go, where is the hope in this? All I can see is the negativity and how it's beating me down. Workplace drama, 
financial situations. When the problem is staring us in the eye, we don't see the potential because in the midst of our pain, our problems become paralyzing. We don't know what to do. But the unique thing about Ezekiel here, his response isn't one in saying, I'm just going to give the good answer to God. No, the reason he responds the way that he does is because he knows where to turn. His response is actually one of saying, God, if there is anyone that could do this, if there is anyone that could bring life to a lifeless situation, if there is anyone that could bring hope to hopelessness, God, you know. You're the one. That's his response. And the reason he knows that he can turn to God is that God sees past the problem. It's hard for us to see past the problem to the potential, but God can do that. So in the dry season that you're in right now, the season of no hope, the season where it seems like nothing good is going to come from anything and that you are, in fact, a one-hit wonder, God sees the potential in you. I feel like there's somebody in here that really needs to hold on to that sentence. that you feel like you have nothing to give because of what's going on in your life and you feel like you have no potential whatsoever but God sees past the problem and he sees the potential in you and what he's going to ask you to do is come alongside him as he helps you realize it. Ezekiel 37 verse 4 he said to me this is Ezekiel talking that God says to him prophesy concerning these bones and say to them dry bones Hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord says. Uh, this is what the Lord says to these bones. I will cause breath to enter you and you will live. I will put tendons on you, make flesh grow on you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Can you imagine what's going through Ezekiel's mind now? First thing God says, I'm going to put you in the middle of a valley of death. And now I'm going to tell you that I'm going to bring it all back to life. There are some things that seem super far-fetched, but here's the truth of it. Ezekiel already knew it could happen because he had already said, Lord God, only you know if the bones can have life. So God says, this is what I'm going to do. He didn't have to ask Ezekiel to come alongside. God could do it on his own. God didn't need Ezekiel to bring those bones back to life, but he invited Ezekiel to participate. And he does the same thing for us. He says to him, prophesy. Now, when we read that word or we hear the word prophecy or prophesy, a lot of times we sit there in a tendency to freak us out a little bit and say, I don't have that kind of gift. I don't have that big calling on my life. I can't do something like that. Prophecy right here, this word means speaking under the will of God. There are a lot of people in this room who have been used by God to speak under his will, and you may not have even realized it. There are some of us in here who have had people speak into our lives and said things that they never should have known and they said it at just the right time and we sat back and went, where did that come from? That was somebody that God invited to participate in what was going on. I think we've all had those moments. We've all had those people. I've had one of those people. Um, on April 1st, I began my 19th year serving full-time on a church staff. 
I still think that it is hilarious to this day that my ministry anniversary of serving God vocationally on a church staff is April Fool's Day. There are times that I sit back and go, God, you're just gonna just let this one keep running, aren't you? Like you are gonna, that was funny. See what you're doing there. There are definitely some times where I feel like that. But when I started, the first church that we were at was in Honeypath, South Carolina. Some of you are going, I thought it was Belton, Honeypath. Nope, two different places. That's just the high school. They're in between everything. Um, do your best not to put those together when you're around those folks from those two towns, by the way. I'm just going to learn that the hard way in those five years that we spent there. We were at this, this church, this little church called uh, Shakola Baptist Church. And serving on staff, I was not in the capacity that I am now of working with students and leading family ministry. I actually led worship. I led music. Um, I don't let this cat out of the bag a lot because I don't want to, honestly. Um, my degree is in music. Um, see, I felt like God wanted me to work in the church. And I couldn't figure out what he wanted me to do, so I made the decision that it was gonna be music. It was something that I'd grown up with, it was something that I loved, that I enjoyed, so that was what I was going to do. So I, I come on staff at this church, and that's what I'm doing, and at 22 years old, they were like, hey, you're gonna work with senior adults too. And I'm like, fantastic, it's gonna be like hanging out with my grandparents all the time, is like what I thought. Um, no? Um, so anyway, no, those people were fantastic. They loved us well, they served us well, and they absolutely, um, Michelle, I think you would agree that they set us up for success uh, for the last 19 years. There was one woman in the church, um, her name was Dolly, and one Sunday, I am on stage, I'd finished leading a song, I prayed, similar to what Jana did out her early, earlier, because sometimes that's what you do. Um, in church as you pray. Um, and so that's, that's what I did. And then after the service, she made a beeline for me. She walked up to me and she said, when you prayed this morning, something about that, God wants you to preach. And in my mind, I thought, and I want you just to go sit back down because <laughs> I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. I am not supposed to be up there doing that. Let's just keep leading a choir. Let's lead instrumentalists. Let's do all that. I'm good. Let's just stay in this mode, and uh, you go get a drink of water because I think you're a little lightheaded at this moment. So, But, of course, I didn't respond that way. It was more like, thank you. I appreciate that. And she kind of gave me the eye, and she walked away. Um, at the end of year two of being at that church, I had the opportunity to start spending a lot of time with the teenagers. Um, just through some staff changes. And during that time, God just really started burning this passion in me that I needed to pour into them more. So as a middle schooler and a high schooler and even a college student, there were a lot of thoughts that went through my head about what my relationship with Jesus looked like and how that really fleshed out. And I had a lot of sleepless nights and I felt really bad about some of the things that I was thinking. And there was a distinct time while we were at that church where God said, yeah, you need to be hanging out with them and not doing what you're doing because I know you don't want them to be thinking the same things you were. And so some crazy circumstances, some stuff that does not happen in church, especially the way church was done at that time and in that setting, 
me and another staff member completely switched positions. And I started working with these students. Well, a little over five years we spent there, and our time ended there, and we were going to another church. And our last night that we were there, everybody was coming up to us, and they were talking to us, and Dolly walked up. And she looked at me, and she said, I told you God wanted you to preach. And I was like, it's just students. That's not how I feel now, by the way, for parents who are like, you work with teenagers? Yes, that's not... In my mind at that time, I'm like, that's not up here. That's not doing this. Like, and she just was like, I told you God wanted you to preach. There definitely have been some times since then in the last 14 years where I can honestly say I've sat back and gone, God, what, what are you doing here? I, I don't see what you're doing. I feel like it's a dry time in my life as a, as a pastor, as a leader what, what do you want me to do? I don't see any hope, but God, you know. And then that voice from Dolly comes back and says, God wants you to preach. She may not have realized it, but God invited her to participate in my life the same way that God was inviting Ezekiel to participate. Ezekiel received the invitation but it's more important to remember that he wasn't just speaking, going to be speaking life into these bones. He was a part of the dry, dead bones. He was exiled the same way these other people were. So he was invited to be a part of his own brokeless, uh, broken, hopeless situation. Ezekiel was invited to participate in his own potential. See, it's not always someone else that gets invited in, but God invites us to participate in our own potential. Because participation is what turns potential into reality. Potential is just potential. It's just sitting over there until I actually do something about it. Until I actually take God at his word and believe him enough to say, okay, I'm going to do this. It could be today that God's inviting you to speak into someone else's life. To speak under the will of God into someone else's life. But it may be for your own situation it may be that he's asking you and in telling you, inviting you to take a step so that you can be a part of the change that's going to happen at work or the change that's going to happen at home, the change that's going to happen financially, the change that's going to happen in your life. He's inviting you to participate the same way he did Ezekiel. And so Ezekiel makes a decision to do that. And in verse 7, he says, so I prophesied as I had been commanded. And while I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones come, came together, bone to bone. As I looked, tendons appeared on them, and flesh grew, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. And he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man. Say to it, this is what the Lord says. Breath, come from the four winds and breathe into these slain so that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath entered them. Then they came to life, and they stood on their feet, a vast army. Ezekiel participates as he's been commanded, and look what happens. The bones start coming together. There's a rattling sound. I'm picturing like an old like Bugs Bunny cartoon or something where something like that happens, and you see it, and like randomly stuff gets, starts getting put back together. But they start to rattle and they start to get put back together. And then the next thing you know, there's flesh that's on them and they're covered in skin. And that can become exciting. When we actually decide to participate 
and what God wants to do in our lives, and we start to see potential become reality, it becomes exciting to see that. But it can be easy for us to be thrown back when we see it stall out. This could have happened at this point with Ezekiel. He sees that there's flesh on them, there's skin, the bones are put together, but he says there's no breath in them. So God reminds him, I'm not finished yet. And he says, so prophesy to the breath. He had already said that to him before. It's actually the first thing that he'd said to him earlier. But he says, here's what I want you to do. Prophesy to the breath and do this, and then these bones will be able to live. God reminds him that he's not finished. The same way that even over the last two or three weeks, there have been a lot of times, and this is just me being gut level honest with you guys, that as a pastor, as a leader, there have been conversations that have happened where I thought that I saw some movement. There was the rattling of bones, and then nothing, and it stopped. There was some excitement in seeing some other things take place and some movement in some things in my own life, and then I felt like they stopped, and, they, and there was no breath. Like, there was something, but then there was nothing. And for me, I heard Dolly's voice again. God, using that, I want you to preach. Some of us are starting to see movement, but we're not seeing life yet in the situation. Some of us are starting to see the bones come back together. We even see the flesh on them. We see that there's movement that's taking place, but for whatever reason, it's stalled out in this moment. God's not done. He's not finished. He's wanting to remind you that life is on the way, so he says again, prophesy to the, to the breath. So Ezekiel prophesies to the breath and then what he sees in front of him is life. See, before verse 10, all Ezekiel saw were dry, dead bones. A lifeless, hopeless situation. Now he sees an army. An army that's ready to march. An army that's ready to fight. When I trust God to see past my problem, and I choose to participate in my potential, there will be new life when he invites me to do that. And it's based on this reasoning that God wants you to be restored. So this is how the story wraps up. Verse 11, then he said to me, God said to Ezekiel, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Look how they say our bones are dried up and our hope is perished. We are cut off. Therefore, prophesy, speak to them again on behalf of me and say to them, this is what the Lord God says. I'm going to open your graves and bring you up from them, my people, and lead you into the land of Israel. You will know that I am the Lord, my people, when I open up your graves and bring you up from them. I will put my spirit in you and you will live and I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I am the Lord. I have spoken and I will do it. This is the declaration of the Lord. God understands how you feel right now. If you feel like a one-hit wonder, if you feel dried up, if you feel hopeless, if you feel like there is no life, he tells Ezekiel that he knows exactly how this nation of people feel, and he wants them to know that he's not finished with them yet. 
remember this today, that my hopeless situation doesn't mean that there's no potential for God to move. Just because it seems hopeless doesn't mean that God can't do something. And if God says he's going to do it, God's going to do it. And you can count on that. God wants you to be restored the same way he wanted his people to be restored, but it requires that we reshape our focus. So what we have to do is what's in front of us, we have to look at it a little bit differently. And I think of this in this way. Coming up on the screen is going to be the picture of something that's called the Lego Friends Grand Hotel. This is not mine. Um, actually, it's my daughter's. Three Christmases ago, uh, she was all into Legos, specifically Lego Friends. So it's this branch of Lego that's uh, really marketed toward girls. They're like all of these friends that get together, hence the name. And then there's this whole little city. And she had stuff that was like a little vet hospital, and she even had like a rock star stage and some little cars and stuff. But for Christmas, my parents gave her the Grand Hotel. The Grand Hotel has over 1,600 pieces in it. I remember looking at my parents and saying, this is staying at y'all's house, right? And they both laughed at me. They're like, no, nah, it's going home with you. I remember getting that thing and getting home. And the next day, Hannah immediately wanted to start working on it. And I'm looking at this going, this is a daunting task. Over 1,600 pieces, what are we going to do? Well, I knew it was going to take time. I knew it was going to take some effort. Hannah just wanted the picture that was on the outside of the box. She just wanted this image. She just wanted it to look like that. Then we opened the box. And if I remember right, there were 13 bags of Legos that fell out. Six or seven different instruction booklets with one of them being this thick. And even to myself, I sat there and went, that's a lot of dry bones. That is a hopeless situation. <laughs> Hannah just wanted the image that was on the box. She saw all of the seeming hopelessness that was inside the box, all of the bags, all of the little pieces, all of the books that we were going to have to go through. And she got down and she got disheartened because she just wanted the finished product. So we had to participate for it to become reality. And it took time. It took over six hours over the course of two days for us to put it together. And even when it looked like that you would open a bag and the Legos just kind of multiplied, and you were like, no, we didn't have that bag earlier. Where did that extra booklet come from with directions? Like, what happened? We always had the image of the potential becoming reality. It just required that I stopped looking at the hopelessness that came out of the box, and I started looking at what could be that was on the front. So my question for us this morning is, what are you looking at? In your life, are you looking at the image of what's in front of you, the dry, brittle, lifeless bones? 
of whatever situation it is in your life? Or are you looking at the image of what can be? And I get that it may be difficult to see that this morning, and I understand that because I have been in that place. It is difficult to see, but what it requires of me is to stop and trust God enough to, when he says, can the dry bones live, for me to say, Lord God, only you know. But if God says that they're going to live, then he's going to do it, and they're going to live, and you are going to be restored. It may not always look the way we want it to look, but I can tell you, if God says that he wants you to be more than a one-hit wonder, you can be more than a one-hit wonder. You have that potential. He has called you to more. He wants you to be more. He is calling you and asking you and inviting you to participate in what he's going to do so that you can see it become reality. I've asked the band to come back out because the second song that we did this morning has this really incredible bridge that's in it. And it's the part that says, I am chosen and not forsaken. That kept resonating with me the entire time that I was standing down here while we were singing it earlier. And I just kept thinking about how there's this man in this valley full of lifelessness. And God just keeps telling him, you are chosen and you are not forsaken. This entire nation of Israel is chosen and not forsaken. And I want to do so much more with you, but come alongside me, participate in what I'm doing, and watch the potential become reality. You are more than a one-hit wonder nation of Israel. And this morning, I believe that God is saying that to us that he doesn't want us to be a room full of one-hit wonders, that he wants us to experience that potential, he wants us to experience the life, and he wants us to experience that hope. You are chosen, you are not forsaken. God loves you, and he wants to restore you. God, I pray that over the next few moments, if we just take a little bit of time and we sing together, that for those of us who are in the room who are followers of Jesus Christ, who feel like we're in that valley of dry, dull lifelessness, that we'll remember you see past the problem and you see the potential and you want it to become reality. We are invited to join you in that. So God, for those of us who are in that place today, that we'll trust you in it. And God, I pray for the person who may be here today who says, my life as a whole just feels lifeless and dried up. There's no hope. I've tried to fix it. I've tried to change it on my own, but there's nothing there. God, I pray that today for the first time they will stop and they will listen to you as you say, can your dry bones live again? And they'll just stop and for the first time say, Lord God, only you know. And if that's you today, and you're ready to trust God with your life and believe that if he says he's going to do it, he's going to do it.
you just talk to him right now and say something like this, God, I admit that I can't fix me. I'm a sinner. I can't change it. But I believe that you love me so much that you sent your son to die on a cross and that he rose again and through the power that raised him from the grave, I can be forgiven of my sin and I can be saved and changed and made something new. So God, today I admit my sin. I ask you to forgive me and save me. I'm committing my life to you. I'm willing to participate in the potential so that I can see the reality of who you want me to be. Thank you for reminding me that I am not forsaken. And I can be more than a one-hit wonder.